0: Steve Austin, astronaut. A man barely alive.
1: Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before. Better, stronger, Welcome to Bickering Peaks with Aiden and Lindsay. I'm Lindsay. And I am Aiden. And we're Bickering Peaks. Yes,
0: we are. Um, and we are here today to talk about two episodes of Six Million Dollar Man.
1: Yes. Why, you may wonder, are we doing episodes about the Six Million Dollar Man? Well,
0: the real answer is it's awesome. And we should have always <laughs> been doing these episodes. Forget yes. Twin Peaks. We should have been doing a thing dedicated Absolutely. to Bionic Man. Absolutely.
1: Yes. But no, the real reason is <laughs> that uh, Mark Frost's first writing credits were yes. on this show or for, were for episodes of the show. Two of them, in fact, that both aired in 1975. The yep. first was Return of the Robot Maker, which aired January 26th, I think. Uh,
0: the second one was Steve Austin Fugitive.
1: Steve Austin Fugitive. Yes, 11. which
0: was in the second season. These were both in the second season of Six Million Dollar Man. Um, and we'll we'll go over some of the details of this overall. But
1: before we jump into this week's episode, just uh, wanted to run through a few um, exciting events and, and things that are coming up in... Our lives, obviously, it's it's early December now. We've got um, the return Blu-ray coming out on DVD. Yes. Uh, it's out today. If you're listening to this on the day that we release it, it's out today. So hopefully some of you have it. Um, we don't currently yet you know, have it. And it, we don't think we're
0: going to get it on Tuesday, it, it, but it won't,
1: well, no, obviously we don't have it yet, but yeah. I don't think we're going to have it on, on Tuesday either is what I'm getting. Yeah. It. Um, because, uh, it just, the way that Canada post works around the holidays, I'm really not expecting that we're going to have a, a prompt delivery. But for those of you who do have it, I hope you're enjoying it. Um, there's like six hours or something of additional footage. And uh, some of the the photos and stills from that have been leaked around the internet a little bit here and there. So um, hopefully if you're spoiler-reverse, you've been able to avoid those. But they do seem really exciting, some behind-the-scenes footage and stuff from uh, shooting the returns. So very much looking forward to diving into that over the Christmas break, the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of the holidays, uh I would be seriously remiss if I didn't announce properly, since we are partnered with 25 years later, um, and co-partnered, I guess, with the Bookhouse Babes, and and big shout-outs to the Bookhouse Babes and Twin Peaks Unwrapped, who are also our partners in podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um We are, 25 years later, Bookhouse Babes are running a tree decorating contest.
0: Well, a decoration contest. It's a
1: decoration. It's a holiday decoration contest. Mm -hmm. And there is a category for decorating trees. Um, But it's running from December 3rd. So from two days ago, Sunday, Mm -hmm. to December 16th. And what we want to see... Decorated trees, there's a whole category for decorated trees, but Twin Peaks themed trees. Mm-hmm. So if you have red room ornaments, if you have flashing strobe lights, if you have uh chevron designed um, tinsel, I don't know, <laughs> if you have That'd a red awesome tree, tree with black and white ornaments or something, those are the kinds of things that I, that I think we want to see with, within, um, within this, the parameters of this contest. Um, we have traditional holiday decor. So this is... Not just your trees, but wreaths, menorahs, kinaras anything from your holiday celebrations that you want to deck out in Twin Peaks style, we want to see pictures of it. So um really go wild with that. And then the non-traditional decor category is where really things I think kind of go off the rails a bit. Yes, I don't know if any of you saw no holds barge. <laughs> if any of you saw the photo that we tweeted out last weekend. Of the evolution of the arm Christmas tree that we made. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the kind of thing that we're hoping other people will do. Um, build your own evolution of the arm tree. Uh, do something, you know, create a peaktivity set with your Funko Pops or something like that. Um, anything, anything along those lines that's not, you know, traditional. Christmas decor, but still peaks themed. Uh, definitely, we we want to see those pictures. So there's those three categories. We'll be picking a top winner from each of those categories, and there will be prizes that will be that will be mailed out at some point in the new year. Um, which is really exciting. It's kind of cool to be able to do this kind of contest and and um, obviously using Bickering Peaks to promote something from my side project at 25 years later. I hope you don't mind that, Aiden. It's all good. But um, we're calling it Deck the Lodge. So if you (laughs) are interested in participating, please send your photos between December 3rd and December 16th to the Bookhouse Babes and 25 years later. So at 25YL site and at Bookhouse Babes on Twitter. Tag Deck the Lodge and Twin Peaks. um, And make sure that you're following both accounts because winners have to be following both accounts in order to win and I should say that there's a mystery panel of judges who are who have been assembled and will be put in charge of picking the winners so we we aren't announcing them yet But um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy when you find out who they are. I think it'll be really fun. So um, definitely, 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 if you're interested in this and if you have Twitter, even if you don't have Twitter, sign up for Twitter. Send us your holiday decoration ideas in those three categories, Decorated Trees, Traditional Holiday Decor, and Non-Traditional Decor. And you can find out more information about this on the 25 Years Later Facebook page or on uh, Bookhouse Babes and 25 Years Later Twitter sites. Mm -hmm. Do you have any announcements you'd like to make, Aiden? Nope. You bought a really cute holiday sweater the other day. A Christmas sweater, your little elf sweater. What about it? Well, you could enter that as a picture. It's I'm kind not, of traditional.
0: Not, yeah, but it's not twin peaksy enough.
1: Well, if you danced, we could put the music on, shine some it, strobe lights, and, and you could
0: dance backwards? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. All right.
1: I don't know if we're eligible to win in any so. of these categories. So.
0: You might be one of the judges, so I'm not no, I don't trust <laughs> my my entry to you. Um Before we get too far into it, Lindsay, you knew about The Six Million Dollar Man. Had you ever seen it before you watched
1: the episode? No, I had never seen. I I didn't know anything about this show other than um, it was about a guy, an astronaut who uh, suffered an accident and and his body was badly damaged. damaged. And so the government rebuilt him. And I knew about this because my dad was a big fan of The Six Million Dollar Man and its spin-off show, The Bionic Woman, um, specifically Jamie Summers, who's played by Lindsay Wagner, which is how I got my name. Yeah. I was named after The Bionic Woman. <laughs> so this is my history, which is uh, my personal history, very closely tied up with that of um, yeah. my father's early infatuation with Jamie Summers. So, um, that's my TMI for this episode, I think. Uh, also TMI in my life generally. Yeah. I'm like, Todd, why'd you tell me that? But yeah. either way, um, did you know about the show? Or? I
0: I, no, I kind of vaguely did, but it was like you know, quaternary knowledge, like beyond tertiary. Okay, I was yeah. like like fifth-hand knowledge of the yeah. show. Um, I knew, like, for instance, the, the the phrase in the opening credits, like, right. we can rebuild him. We have the technology. Your mom still
1: says that to this day. My mom says that all if the time. she breaks like, the plate or yeah. something, it's like, <laughs> well, we can rebuild it.
0: No, we can't rebuild the plate. Well, no, if but was she, would, yes. she would try when to I was say that. A, when would, I was a kid, if I it. broke a Transformer toy, she would say that phrase, mm-hmm. and then she'd help me put it back together. So, y- you know, I did... I had some cultural, you know, inertia brought some of the show to me. Well, like, and
1: I mean, uh, you know, as as... Young adults, we watched the Forty Year Old Virgin, and there's references to it in there. It's references all over the place. We, we watched
0: Scrooge last night as we approached yeah, Christmas. Yeah, Lee Majors.
1: Yes, uh, it, it stars in the night the reindeer died, <laughs> which actually seems like it might be a pretty good Christmas show. So, yeah. I mean, why didn't they make that?
0: Well, they did. It's Die Hard. Right? Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> Except for there's no reindeer death. But See, uh, this yes. is
1: this is going to be we we could have a whole episode bickering about whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not, as I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but it is. But, anyways, uh, we're moving on. Yes. Yeah, so, th- so we had a bit of knowledge, uh, but yeah, never watched an episode no. before. Um, and we did just watch these two particular episodes.
1: Yeah. So, we don't have a lot of like background about the whole series no. itself. But I-, I guess just on the basis of having watched two, they're 45 minute episodes, right? So, yeah. It's,
0: it's an hour long show back um, then.
1: Yeah. What did you think of just like, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe a better question is what were you expecting?
0: I was expecting this and I got it and it was awesome. It was a uh, knock em non stop <laughs> action spy thriller stuff type show. And, you know, parts of it are terrible because it was filmed in 1975 and there was no special effects. And, there, you know, everything was very Well, Oh, limited. there was some
1: green screen. There, were, there was on, a little bit of
0: two-screen two split-screen two split screen stuff going on. Yeah, and split-screens, yeah. But, yeah, I, screens, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah I, I enjoyed it. Like, I think... My best summary of this was that if I was a 14-year-old boy in 1975, this would have been the most amazing show of all time. <laughs> like, I just, I would have loved it because it was just, yeah, it was action. There's a guy who can, like, take sh- bullets in the leg and punch guys and punch through walls and all sorts of Jump stuff.
1: Jump over fences.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were doing the sound effects <laughs> nonstop when we watched this thing. It was,
1: it it was didn't, let, let's Let's be real. Don't lie. If this were on today, you're a 32-year-old man. Yeah. If this were on today, you would still
0: it, they love could it. redo it as the six hundred million or the six billion dollar man. And honestly, I think it would be pretty awesome. Like they they'd obviously it'd have to be real like like Netflix Marvel dark. Like he'd have to yeah. like like, you know, occasionally his leg would just shut down and then he'd have to rip it off and beat a bad guy with it. I don't care. It would be awesome. Like that's
1: not dark. <laughs> that's that's humor.
0: Well, yeah, if you did it funny the way I just described it, but yeah. if like he felt the pain as he had to rip off his leg and then he's screaming and then he's beating a guy bloody and there's blood all over the walls.
1: Well and I mean um,
0: <laughs> Sorry, I just okay, took it yeah, fire, it's okay, yeah. But yeah.
1: Very, but um the the thing that that struck me really is how episodic it was. Like mm-hmm. if you were to do it today, there's this um it's not a trend, it's, no, it's lasting. It's,
0: it's, yeah, it's a new... But you
1: you do like whole episode or whole yeah, season not, arcs, right? Yeah. And there didn't seem to be much of that going on. Although, interestingly, uh, both of these episodes dealt with things that happened in previous episodes. Yes, which we so, didn't know. Which we didn't know about, but you can piece together from... So it's episodic in that sense, but it does reference... It's, it's not quite like a sitcom where, you know, everything resets back to the way it was at the start of... The last episode, but you it's know what I close. Mean? But, like I mean, there's recurring yeah.
0: characters. I think like the bad guys were recurring bad guys. It seemed yeah. like, but basically at the end of every episode, everything went kind of back. Sure, horrible. yeah,
1: and and I mean, um, I was reading up about it a little bit. That in the the first season there was more death, more killing, oh. and as it started to become popular, especially with young kids, the censors kind of stepped in, and yeah. and so they started to write endings like what we saw, where the the bad guys get carted away instead yeah. of. You know, know,
0: torn limb from limb. Yeah, as <laughs> yeah. you described.
1: Yeah. But so, I mean, it's it's significant differences between the way that television is presented now and and how it was back then. Yeah. But it certainly is like
0: yeah. of its time. Exactly. And that's, I mean, just comparing it to The Return, which still there's no, I mean, it's been a couple months now, mm-hmm. three or four months. But there, there still hasn't been any TV or it doesn't look like there's going to be much TV that's going to match up with that for quite a while. Um, it's a really great contrast for Mark Frost's career from this. Yeah. I mean, you described it as popcorn television.
1: Yeah. I don't know if that's a phrase. No. I, it, popcorn movies, you yeah. know, right? But popcorn television, it's like mindless. Mm-hmm. It's very entertaining on a surface level. There's not a lot of thinking that needs to go into it. And that's not a bad thing. That's not me criticizing no. it. It's just this is pure entertainment. Yeah. And that's something that TV does still to this day, but but they kind of demand more of their viewers, in a sense, mm-hmm. and this doesn't. So it was really quite nice. Like I'm, I'm one of those viewers who likes to be on her phone while she's watching TV. Like I, I can multitask. Aiden will disagree about this point.
0: Well, when you ask every five seconds, "What's happening? Where? where who? Where did he go? What happened?" There? Because you're on your phone and you're not actually watching, that bothers me. But you know, I don't that think
1: a that's ever happened. Ever. Oh
0: my God! I'm gonna have to stop the recording here. While well, we have this fight for the next 25
1: No, we'll have there's... it on on Mike because everybody wants us to bicker more. Oh so my God, we'll just...
0: this happens literally all the time. <laughs> I can't even begin to describe it. But anyway, anyway,
1: this is the kind of show where where you can have divided attention mm-hmm. and you're not really going to miss much. And you know how it's going to end. There's, there's really no danger. Steve Austin is never in any real danger. Yeah. You know he's going to survive at the end. Yeah. Even when he's, you know, face to face with, you know,
0: the the bad robot?
1: The bad robot.
0: Who's just as strong and powerful as him. Yes,
1: the other bionic person in this yeah. episode. Or in the in the next episode when he's being framed for murder. Um, you know that it's gonna turn out okay in the end, right? And so it's there it, there's no pressure. It's it's light. Yeah. Even exactly. when there's bad things happening, it's light. Yeah, you know? you're just
0: like, Oh yeah, how's Steve gonna figure it out this time?
1: And I mean it's it's coming, you know, in the in the nineteen seventies when there was, you know, Crime was increasing and big urban centers, as we talked about in previous uh, episodes, you know, the shift from rural to urban and these kinds of things going on. But you don't really get a sense that that the social issues of the day are being um, addressed in any kind of that's not what the purpose of the show is
0: it's it's a different time. Yeah. It is a very good time travel piece for that for that respect mm-hmm. uh because you're just you're right in 19 you're in the middle of the 70s literally you're dropping right into the middle of it. And yeah, you get that that sense of 70s America. I mean, it's set in Washington mm-hmm. for God's sake. I mean, it's right in the the heart of the country
1: right around the time that Watergate was yeah. was really exploding. Well, it had already kind of finished, yeah. but I mean, you're still reeling from this yeah. this massive scandal. Uh, yeah, Joe Ford's president it's yeah. kind of a a hot time yeah it's a weird that.
0: time yeah mm-hmm. exactly so I mean it yeah I enjoyed the show quite a bit uh just because it was so fluffy and light mm-hmm. you enjoyed it as yeah, well yeah
1: it was fine it's not something that I, I probably wouldn't be an avid fan it's not my demographic it's not I'm not or I'm not it's demographic I'm not who they're trying to aim yeah.
0: uh, aim for aim at yeah so uh we'll just give a quick recap of the episode just so that uh, you understand what we're talking about as we go forward. Um, the first one, uh, Return of the Robot Maker. Uh, for this one, Mark Ro- Mark Frost received uh, both a story and teleplay credits, along with a story credit with uh, Del Reisman. Reisman. Um, and Martin Kaiden uh, was listed as a novel. So that's usually, uh, that might have been where the inspiration for the episode came from. I think
1: it's something. the inspiration for the entire series oh, that would make sense from the novel yeah. Cyborg. Cyborg,
0: that's right, we saw that. Yeah. Um, and so just to quickly differentiate because a lot of you know Mark Frost he's not the director again as we mentioned in the last episode about uh David Lynch he's not in charge of everything he just he wrote the story and in this case uh, the teleplay as well. So the difference between the two, I had to look it up because I still wasn't clear after many, many years of watching television. Story is basically a credit you'd get if you came up with like an overall plot or a couple characters and, you know, maybe some themes and stuff like that.
1: Maybe you did a story treatment for it exactly, or something yeah. like that.
0: Yeah. And then the teleplay would be the person who actually put in all the dialogue and, and wrote out, even if there's some some camera instructions and stuff like that that they wanted yeah, to the capture. Actions,
1: yeah, the actions, the script. The whole, the script yeah, exactly. Itself. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that he wrote the story yes. and the teleplay. Yes. Because the other credit he got in um, Steve Austin Fugitive, which yes. is the second episode that we watched, yeah. he just had the tele- teleplay credit for that. So he didn't come up with the story. He just wrote the script for somebody else's story. Yeah. So it's it's interesting to to kind of compare the two because they're even though they fit this very um, strict formula for this type of show – um, there are some interesting differences, and mm-hmm. and having Mark Frost, who we know writes very good dialogue and um, kind of snappy characters and that kind of thing, working within this framework, you still see some things that are yeah. that are like early Frost. You can tell, like it yeah. feels, it feels like it it belongs to Mark Frost. Yeah, yeah. Says us who have never watched another episode of. <laughs> Of Six Million Dollar Man, so we have no yeah, idea exactly. that no holds up across basis. the rest of the series. But
0: but yeah, let's start with the, the first episode, uh, Return of the Robot Maker. In a nutshell, it is about uh, Steve's boss gets kidnapped yes. and replaced with a robot. Yes. And, you know, The robot craziness wants ensues. to... Um, Yeah, he's stealing secrets from the military.
1: Yeah, and trying to use Steve Austin in order to achieve this end. And of course, Steve Austin figures it out and confronts the evil robot maker who uh, had already been confronted by Steve in in a a previous previous episode, episode, um, whereby wherein... He was criticized for uh his robot squeaked at the time. And <laughs> that's, that's right. how Steve Austin was able to tell that it was a robot. So okay. this time he decided to do better. Yeah. And so he's built a better robot. Yeah, and, and he <laughs> succeeds to a certain extent.
0: So at the end, uh Steve is, you know, it's kind of convoluted, of course. He but he winds up uh you know, this is one the split screen instance. So there's his boss and there's the robot boss double, and he 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 has to pick out which one is the real one. And he gets his I don't know infrared vision or something, and he, he scopes it out and he says, "Oh, the one that's sweating is obviously human." And then he beats up the the other the robot one. Um, and then it's so weird. The the weirdest part is at the end, where uh, his uh, the robot maker evil bad guy. Is just like so overjoyed that that Steve thought he built a better robot. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's weird that it's it's like instead of being because um, it has that feeling of like a Scooby Doo episode. It's yeah. Like, oh, I would have done this. If it hadn't been for that meddling bionic man. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but in the end, he's like, "Oh, you complimented me on my robot. I'm fine now. I'm you fine. can take me away, boys." He He goes away smiling. Put him away in a in a like a, a,
0: like a two door fastback. fastback. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah.
1: hilarious, but. <laughs> So seventies. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, so it's just um that kind of that kind of ending that, that wraps everything up on on a positive note, mm-hmm. which also carried through in the second episode that we watched. Um again, just very, very typical, I think, of that time period yes. and, and how you couldn't leave anything hanging, uh, and certainly couldn't leave it on a negative note. Yeah. So I mean, even the bad guy's happy at the end.
0: Yeah. And it and it was it was interesting. There were so, just for structurally, there was, um, there's a couple frosting elements, dare I say. First of all, there's the fact there's a double which is kind of interesting the episode starts with first of all the episode start with actually kind of a creepy shot of the robot without his face on yes so it's just a bunch of circuits and wires and he's talking in this voice Uh and it's it was kind of scary actually but it's
1: set up for this reveal because obviously everybody everybody who's watched the show up to this point knows oscar goldman is is steve austin's boss he's his confidant they're partners they work together it's so when you see him turn around, I mean, it didn't have the impact on us because we haven't watched like, huh? <laughs> We we didn't know who this was. But I mean, I recognized Richard Anderson, so yeah. but um but it didn't have that impact that I think it would have had if you'd realized yeah. after watching a season and a half of this show that oh my goodness there's Steve Austin's boss yeah. is, is a robot now, and he's going to be replaced. So you know, as soon as that as that happens, it's a great open. It's an, it's a, a yeah. fantastic um, way to intro this this whole episode. Um, you know that bad things are going to happen, and so when this same doctor guy, uh, Doctor Dolans, yeah. I think his name is. Yeah. So in my head canon, he's Mickey Dolans' dad. Yeah. I just made that up. You know Mickey Dolans from the Monkey. Yeah, yeah. Okay,
0: yeah, sure. Let's go with
1: that. <laughs> um, he. Uh, arrives at at Oscar's office and secretary lets him in and he drugs him and takes him away in this very elaborate yeah. scheme involving window washers. <laughs> Convoluted and beyond. <laughs> uh, it's it's <laughs> definitely fingerprints of the, like it felt like the mill plot line.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah no, truly. Just like yeah.
1: overly complex. yeah.
0: I mean, they you could have just kidnapped this, him at yeah. his home, for or
1: getting into his car in the parking lot, you know, or whatever. Or but no, they it was <laughs> they had to go to the to, office. He's window washers and yeah. body doubles and everything. It was—it mm-hmm. was, but it was entertaining, you know, to watch this happen and and to to have that um, that your stress level kind of go up a little bit, a little I bit, think. yeah, especially when you realize they they bring Oscar back to this cube van, really, yeah. Um, and he's watching a monitor and he can see everything that his replacement his robot replacement can mm-hmm. see and uh, and that heightens attention tension too it's something that you see in movies a lot of the time where the kidnapped person can see what yeah. you know is happening on the outside the
0: audience does too, so yeah.
1: yeah it's 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 um it's kind of interesting that way
0: yeah um and it, another interesting part for me was uh the use of technology it's very i mean obviously bionic man my, my parents loved it and they were big sci-fi nerds mm-hmm. they were a little old for it at this point so they watched a couple episodes and they're like oh yeah that's kind of cool because he was a bionic man mm-hmm. and here uh you know they have computers i mean they're all wheel tape <laughs> thing there's no hard drive or anything like yeah. that yet um but you know they have yeah computers and they can download thoughts out of people's brains and that's how they get the access code to uh access the secret files that they send mm-hmm. the robot in to capture um and i thought that was also kind of interesting that mark frost would kind of go with that one because i mean computers and stuff like that obviously they were a part of the show probably from the beginning um but here this is like at the time it would have been like hardcore sci-fi to have like this level of of use of computers it's also completely nonsensical of course but that doesn't matter it's it was it was a convenient plot device Mm -hmm. um and i i yeah i just thought that was that was uh kind of telling again i think probably more Me reading into the fact that I'm like, okay, I kind of know Mark Frost's uh, approach to some things. It's, you know, it's the magic of the time Mm -hmm. in this case as a computer and stuff um kind of semi-related uh and it is kind of picking up on that you know technology is magic kind of piece uh there's a q-esque character you know from the
1: from the james bond franchise those the the novels and the books yeah yeah
0: the the technology whiz who can create all sorts of gadgets and stuff like that uh barney barnes is how he's credited in the episode uh he yeah he he when he walks in on Steve working out in the gym, of course, Steve's pumping yeah. massive weights, uh, he comes in and he's like, oh, I've come up with all these inventions. And he had by far the funniest line out of both episodes.
1: And next, we have what I call the executive special an attache case. Only it isn't really an attache case. Now, what do you think it is? I give up. It's three bombs. Three bombs.
0: Every time after that, Lindsay like, and I just like three bombs, three bombs, just three bombs, <laughs> <Just> three bombs, <laughs> and, um, and yeah. So those come into play later on when, when Steve Austin has to assault the the uh, the, secret, or the, the secret not base, the secret base, but, but the, the government base, the government base, so that uh, distract the the on base security so that the robot can steal stuff. Yeah, um, and he uses the three bombs, and <laughs> I mean it was it was kind of silly again, but we uh we did laugh heartily at that
1: it seemed it seemed like a like a bond knockoff but Mm -hmm. it it was interesting that this character is not um confident in his yes maybe he's confident in his devices but he's not confident enough as a salesman to like convince oscar to let steve use them in the field Mm -hmm. so um that that kind of seemed interesting to me there was like a a level a dynamic there that um that felt very human as opposed to what you would expect from a guy who's you know invested in gadgetry like you think of the cute character from james bond and and he's so exasperated by james bond james bond's uh yeah meddling in in the devices and using them improperly and destroying them and whatnot because he's the genius who creates the bulletproof tablecloth or whatever Mm -hmm. it's not what it is it's a a bulletproof vest vest, but but uh, (laughs) Steve Austin calls it a tablecloth uh but this guy can't get the words out to actually you know he keeps getting turned down and and so it's affected his confidence and I just I could I thought of Pete Martell I thought of you know some of the other characters that we've seen who are you know Andy maybe uh characters who are lovable and have their hearts in the right place and they're trying really hard but they just lack that get up and go to, you know, see their plans through to the end. Mm -hmm. So I kind of like that. I'm not sure if that's entirely Mark Frost's doing, but, um, in Twin Peaks, I mean, but here it was, it was just, it reminded me of some of that stuff. So,
0: yeah. Um, and then just one last kind of plot point that I I thought was kind of odd, actually, it was, uh, so Steve and the robot wind up spending some time together Mm -hmm. and they're they're kind of heading to the base and the, the robots kind of setting them up for, for failure. Um, and the robot does a bunch of weird things. Mm-hmm. Like he drinks a whole cup of coffee that's way too hot even for Steve, the bionic man himself, yes. to consume. Um, and, you know, this is all; these are all features that the robot's been endowed with in order to make it appear more human. But he actually just winds up looking yes. weird. Um, and it's kind of odd because you think, oh, well... Steve is obviously going to pick up on this and that's how he's going to. He does think. pick
1: up on them a little bit. He,
0: well, he does. He's like, that's odd, but then how he do never, you never drink
1: that coffee. Yeah. And yeah, yeah
0: he drank like three, gl-
1: cl-
0: three glasses of wine really quickly. Yeah. Um, with no ill effects or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, but that isn't actually picked up at all, at all, at any point. It's really, I mean, at the end he does say, oh, well he wasn't sweating. So that's yeah. how I knew that which one was the robot. Um, but it's not like instantly tied back. And there's like a lot of like the dramatic kind of like, like Steve looks at him and he's like, whoa. And you as the audience are supposed to be like, figure it out, Steve, figure it out. Well, I think that's part of it. It's,
1: it's, it's dramatic tension, right? You're, you're and dramatic irony as well, because obviously the audience knows Mm -hmm. that, that oscar is a ro- is a robot or yeah. a robot a
0: robot oh <laughs> that's that the other the thing other... we'll have to
1: talk about oh. um, but we know that he's he's not who he who steve thinks he is but steve doesn't know it yet and so it does add to that tension and, and the few moments that happen in the lead up to the final confrontation um as that escalates it's it's almost like it's um like drops in the bucket that that eventually become a flood right so so he he's remembering them but they're not odd but then when you put them all together it's like well this doesn't add up right so it's it's not meant to be i don't think it's meant to be um right off the bat the big tell that he's going to figure it out obviously or else that wouldn't have happened 20 minutes into the episode
0: ah yes Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Should we
1: talk about the robots?
0: The robots or the Rubits?
1: Well, to talk about technology and just the fact that, you know, in the mid 70s, robots and robot technology and computer technology was still in its infancy. And there was a lot of, like you said, this is science fiction. So a lot of this stuff might have been, I mean, you brought it up when we were watching it, that maybe some of these actors have never...
0: Seen. spoken
1: the word they've seen it in you know Isaac Asimov or you know their science magazines the fiction magazines or whatever but they've never spoken the word robot al- aloud so you get this in- interesting thing where the uh the actor who plays Dr. Chester Dolan's pronounces the word robot in about 16 different ways. And it's really entertaining for us because (laughs) we were watching it and just it's so second nature to us now that that we they're robots and it's robotics. And Mm -hmm. but at the time, this was brand new technology. Um, It also is interesting that this is something that we're dealing with to this day. I mean, we just had um, a documentary about sex robots was aired on BBC Mm -hmm. or BBC or Channel 4. Um, in the yeah, UK a couple, yeah. uh, a couple of days ago maybe and then you know videos of the the robot that jumps that can oh, jump and the flip, flip. flip and everything yeah. oh. I mean we're reaching the point where where robot technology is is starting to mimic human behavior to the point where it's not inconceivable that this scenario could happen yeah. so it's it's fascinating to see it being played out on Uh, like a 1970s scale with 1970s technology. But it's also kind of relatable Mm -hmm. to us as modern 21st century viewers facing this uncanny valley again, right? Where, you know, robots and humans, robots and humans are are increasingly coming together in form and function, Mm -hmm. which is... Scary or exciting, depending on which side of the coin you fall on.
0: Well, exactly, and and the fact that I mean, yes, they have come a long way, mm-hmm. but they're still. You can always tell. There's a robot. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Like there's, we're not anywhere near the, the the kind of technology that's displayed here. No, Oscar um,
1: Goldman is is miles ahead. Miles I mean, ahead. We would we would know well before you know your sex robot drank three glasses of wine. <laughs> you would know it was a robot.
0: Yeah, um, but it is. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting that way. Um, that yeah, this. I mean, honestly, like, that's one part of the, the show. I mean, if you update the technology of filming it, mm-hmm. this plot line could happen in a yeah. sci-fi show now. This could be a Black Mirror episode. I mean, sure, have to get, absolutely. again, a lot darker. But, you know, yeah. someone being replaced and manipulating someone through being a robot is still, you know, a conceivable storyline. And, and one of the
1: scariest things that people are talking about these days is um, uh, virtual reality and, like, face rec- facial recognition mm-hmm. software. Um, the new phones that can read your face and yeah. a- and allow you to access your phone that way. I mean, the, the things that that uh, that we're capable of doing and how we're tying them so closely to our the things that are most important to us and our identities. And we were having a conversation last night about cryptocurrencies and the things that, you know, even though they're anonymous, are they really anonymous and and. I mean, I'm getting in way over my head because a lot of this stuff I don't really <laughs> quite understand. Partly because it frightens me so much, yeah. but it's so innocent in this. Like it's not innocent, but it compared to what we're talking about today with with real life identity theft and and things that can actually seriously affect your life mm-hmm. um, being played out for the Bionic Man, where there's no stakes and or very yeah, low yeah, stakes, exactly. really. Yeah, because you know it's going to end well. Yeah. Um, it was. It was kind of. There was some cognitive dissonance, I think, for me, a little little bit. bit.
0: The end was a lot of fun for me, uh, because it was just a knockdown, punch-out fest. Uh, You know, you had the two main actors, probably of the series, I'm getting
1: Richard Anderson and and Lee Lee Majors, who are... I think, yeah, probably the main characters, stars. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. So um, you had them, you know, having a chance to duke it out on on screen, and you know, yeah, they were both super powered robots, so they're you know punching down stuff, and they're doing the slow motion, everything. Okay, anytime there's, <laughs> yeah, anytime <As> well. there's, <laughs> anytime there's any sort of bionic activity, uh-huh. they slow it down for some reason, which is kind of odd because he's supposed to be super fast, but they make him go really slow. It's
1: well- I think it's just an effect, to, yeah. you know.
0: But like, I swear, like a third of this the friggin' TV show, especially in the, this first episode, was was uh, in so, slow mo. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, and then you know, and it's it's actually, I mean, it's not a good action sequence, even by no, 1970s standards. No, and I mean, it's
1: it's it's executed about as well as you could expect from from a show like this. Yes, but you know, we're used to you know zooming cameras and lots of different angles yeah. and cgi this and that and so it was very rudimentary but for i mean put yourself in the shoes of a 12 year old or a 13 yeah. year old kid watching this show in 1975 you would totally want to you'd be rooting for steve austin and you'd be on the playground the next day acting out this fight sequence oh, between totally. robot oscar and yeah, the robot Bionic steve, yeah, yeah exactly yeah so i mean it, it totally serves its function and hits all the right marks for the type of show that it is
0: yeah the the only the only part that was troublesome to me was the really bad special effect he finishes the fight by karate chopping off yes. the robot's head and it it's so obvious that they've switched to a like a, a dummy, a, a dummy a mannequin, yeah, yeah, or something Uh, because his body just kind of locks up the the bad guy and he has his head cut off and then you see his face and it's just like a badly painted uh mm-hmm. like mannequin head yeah mm-hmm. it's, they barely even really went into the detail um but it was it was fine again you're you're kind of turning your brain off at, at that specific thing you're just saying yeah. yeah this is entertaining he Uh, he of course the good robot one yeah so um yeah so that was the episode
1: i think for a first a first time out first professional writing credit um it's better than most of what we could have hoped to oh
0: jesus at
1: at that age (laughs) to be able to write something like that is is fun yeah
0: how good for him how old was mark frost in this time he was 23 yeah early 20s so
1: i mean we were scratching out you know essays in our university classes at yeah. that age yeah. poorly, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, so kudos to him. Like this is this is pretty impressive. It was a popular show, um, and he did a good job. With yeah. it. I mean, it's
0: it's it's again, it's light and fluffy and popcorny, but yeah. you know, it tasted good.
1: <laughs> so, Absolutely. So what
0: more can you ask for? So the second episode, uh, Steve Austin, comma fugitive, mm-hmm. uh, aired. I think it was seven episodes later it was this 20 20- it was
1: this it was the finale of the of the oh. uh this season so it aired sometime in may or june of 1975
0: yeah um and mark frost uh this one again just the teleplay credit uh he was with richard carr for that one yeah. uh the story was by wilton denmark william d gordon and james doherty um so three people came up with this story or you know, contributed I think to it in some that's fairly common
1: way. in Hollywood, where oh, yeah. it's, it's you know collaboration. It's not one person. It's very rare that you'll have that, and, and we see it a lot in showrunner culture today, where mm-hmm. someone like um, Aaron Sorkin or um, what's her name, Matthew Weiner, or
0: oh. the the girl Tina Scandal, Scandal, uh, what's her name?
1: Shonda Shonda Rhimes, yeah, yeah, she's fairly
0: well known.
1: Yeah, where where they have more control over it. In those days, it was like you'd have it it was like Tin Pan Alley or something. You'd have like a stable of artists, stable of writers who would write the material Mm -hmm. that would then go on on screen. So I I mean, if that's not an indication of the kind of environment that Mark Frost, you
0: know, cut his eye teeth on, um. But it, but it engenders a, a level yeah. of uh, cooperation and and sure. sharing ideas and stuff right and Which is... I mean
1: if you're gonna walk into a into a writer's room if that thing even existed I'm not sure how it worked back then but you're you're writing within um, like we mentioned constraints and um, formulas and everything that are well established and they have to be kept consistent because that's the brand that the show is is operating mm-hmm. under so it's cooperation but it's also tremendous restraint and i guess skill is is the word you need to have a certain amount of skill to be able to pull this off yeah, right yeah. and and to write
0: something reliably interesting. Yeah, exactly. yeah yeah and yeah.
1: that's also interesting that also sticks to those formula and and everything that, that you've um that you're working within so mm-hmm. it's much more you know I don't want to use the word mechanical. Regimented might be a better word, but there's there's a mechanism in place that you work within, right? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of go through the motions, and you and you produce something at the end that's enjoyable, and and it's very very different from from the kind of thing that you would see.
0: Yeah, there, there's there's a lot more visionary direction probably in in today's. Like I was just watching Stranger Things mm-hmm. uh, season two, not finished yet, uh, but you know it's created by the Duffer Brothers, and right. they wrote I think the first two episodes, right? But then every other episode since has had a single writing written by credit. Yeah. Um, but you know, most likely the Duffer brothers, you know, obviously gave them the overall story arc for the season. It's yeah. not like you could write these episodes individually. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting how, um, shows like that are kind of resurrecting or, uh, game of Thrones does the same thing yeah. too, where, uh, whatever their names are i don't remember uh the main showrunners you know they obviously plot out the whole season and they have a huge hand in mm-hmm. everything that goes on um but then it's written by a single individual who sure. might just be either just given credit for it uh because they were on the writing staff the whole time or i don't i don't know exactly how it works maybe they um, wrote the most if yeah, there's yeah. if there's
1: 13 writers and you everybody will get a, a turn at being the writer for that episode or yeah. a writer for an episode in a yeah. season or something.
0: Yeah. Or, like yeah. Or, or do they just do most of the dialogue as opposed to yeah. you know, some of the other stuff? I think so, it depends
1: on the show, but, yeah. but it's, it's different. Like that seems like a much more, but then again, I don't know. We're not in Hollywood. I so no. I, I, it was just interesting no to
0: note the, the different uh, credits that he gets. Cause this one, uh, the episode does feel a little less well connected. It's also, um, I don't know. I would, I wouldn't say more or less formulaic. It's it's a very formulaic yeah. show, um, but this one felt felt a little bit more rote. You could you could tell it was like someone's being framed. Like the main character is being framed for murder. I mean that is possibly one of the oldest, <laughs> you know, storylines in in the world. Um, and here was uh, you know Steve Austin. Uh, he was he received a call from a, a panicked guy who was like you know you. Uh, they're coming after me and someone found out the secrets about your bionic body or something like that. Come meet me in my house. Um, And then you find out that this guy has been betrayed um, by the bad guy of the episode, whose name was Hopper. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so anyways, Steve Austin gets his call. He goes there. And then of course the man's been murdered um, and he's, the police also arrive just then. And uh, oh no, first, sorry. He gets uh, knocked unconscious by the killer um, Hopper. Uh, And then when the police arrive, they find Steve, unconscious, next to a dead body with a gun nearby. And of course, from then, everything's pretty rote. The thing that was interesting in this episode or the the plot structure that makes it all work is uh, Oscar's uh, secretary for the episode. Brand new one called uh, Mrs. Callahan or Mm -hmm. Miss Callahan. Mm -hmm. Uh, We find out later at the very end, her name (laughs) Peggy. But uh, she is the new secretary and Steve relies on her to basically make the whole thing work. He, uh, when he's on the run from the police, he goes and stays at, he hides at her apartment for a while. Um, she helps him, you know... Fix uh, his
1: legs. He was shot in the leg, so she yes. gets him all the the ingredients, I guess, or implements that he needs to, mm-hmm. you know, m- mend his bionic leg and yeah. lies to the police. And all the while, she's, you know, a brand new person in, in Washington, so she's receiving phone calls from her panicked mother about how worried she is that she's fitting in and that she's safe and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And so the duplicity duplicity of this Ms. Callahan, who is um, on one hand telling her mother, everything's great, I'm having a great time in Washington. Meanwhile, she's, you know, bumped up to level six security clearance and she's helping the bionic Man evade the police that he's running from because he's been framed for murder. It was a fun dynamic. I'm going to disagree with you about how it was wrote, though. Okay. Um, Because that, that whole thing, I mean, yes, the plot device that sets it up is not original but I challenge you to find an original story anywhere these days right I mean no for sure these yeah. things are these things are recycled all the time but I think it was unique that a you've got a bionic man involved I mean that right off the bat is going to make things more interesting <laughs> yeah um there's a, a a fairly strong female uh mm-hmm. co-lead I guess in, yeah, this, episode. in this episode she yeah. takes she takes the reins and she's She's far more capable, I think, than than a lot of women might be. I mean, this is the era of Charlie's Angels and Laverne and Shirley, um, Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. I mean, you're not you're not in in the 1950s anymore, although you had Lucy in the in the fifties. So I'm I'm not gonna completely discredit all women who came before her in television. But I mean, this this environment So this environment has engendered this this kind of, you know, strong female character, but she's, you know, got this voice that makes her seem like a little girl Mm. and she's very attractive, um, but she's also very capable. It was just, she seemed like a far more rounded character than I I expected, given what you would expect from a secretary in the 70s. And maybe that's just because I've watched too much Mad Men myself, (laughs) but... Uh, You know, when you have a a character named Peggy, yeah, you expect Elizabeth Moss, you know, in season one, episode one of Mad Men. But either way, um, there were there were there were surprises. Is what I'm getting at is that it it wasn't all completely by the book. I found this one to be um, to be more enjoyable. Okay, Return of the Robot Maker felt like it was very aimed at that juvenile audience this felt like it had like a higher level of political intrigue and personal intrigue. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a little bit of sexual tension that was going on which was intriguing to use the same word again. Yeah. Um, and then to have this this callback to a previous episode or a previous arc, even going so far as to have flashbacks within the episode because um, this, this is a, a kind of a a continuation of a story that happened earlier with a job that Steve did with the killer's twin brother. Yes. and how they didn't know that they were twins and the the, the other twin got away and now he's returned to to get vengeance, get on, vengeance on, on Steve because his brother was in jail and died. Mm-hmm. So it's it's um it's just a different kind of story in that sense than the one that we saw previously. Mm-hmm. So Given that, I mean, Marfrost didn't write the story for this. The story idea came from somebody else. Um, I'm not sure if that's a mark of maybe his, at the time, immaturity, being able to write something of this, you know, this isn't the secret history of Twin Peaks. He, he wasn't yeah. writing that in, in 1975. Um, but, you know, everybody has to start somewhere. So, mm-hmm. um but the dialogue and everything was still pretty good. And, yeah. and if you're going to look at, you know, the action sequences here or some of the really interesting things that happened with the the when the police come to visit Miss Callahan's place mm-hmm. and Steve is in the apartment and he has to go hide and you don't know where he's hidden, but, you know, he's still in the apartment. Yeah. Peggy doesn't know where he's hidden. Yeah. Uh, and then the cops go around. I mean, we've seen this a hundred times, and, but it's still interesting to see Steve Austin hanging by one hand <laughs> off the window ledge. Um it's just it's fresh like it felt fresh i don't know how else to describe it
0: no it's it's true it was it was actually yeah it was fairly uh captivating i mean it it wasn't like edge of my seat stuff but i was like oh i wonder what's happening next and when i didn't see the curveball of hopper's brother had died and there's a twin and everything um when that came up it was like oh well and then it was nice to have this little callback back to this other uh this previous episode that we weren't privy to, yeah. but they fill this in just enough for it to make sense and for us to say, oh, OK, that's how that happened. The the one part of the plotting that, that bothered me was, so there's this detective that's uh, Lieutenant Dobbs that's that's tailing him and, mm-hmm. and searching for him and, you know, uh, wants to arrest. Well, did arrest him once um, and shot him in the leg as well. Yeah. Well, uh, at the end, uh, Oscar returns from overseas where he was uh, away, you know, in a nuclear ban treaty or something like that yeah uh negotiations and so when he arrives back he just instantly convinces the lieutenant that it was all set up and that all kind of happens off camera so we don't get um any sort of tension there Mm -hmm. it's just like oh yeah lieutenant dobbs is obviously gonna believe whatever oscar says Mm -hmm. um and and it works out exactly that way uh and it, yeah, it just doesn't feel quite as, earned, um, yeah, it doesn't feel as earned. And it feels like there was a potential there for a bit more drama, a bit more tension there. Um, you know, maybe Oscar helps Steve escape. Um, and, you know, uh, Dobbs is also then another negative aspect coming at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it is, the the conclusion, the finale of this one uh, lacked a bit of... I would say yeah uh, so what happens is uh, the bad guy Hopper captures uh, Peggy
1: Miss Callahan Miss
0: Callahan um, ties her up and locks her away in a warehouse type place um, and then he watches as Steve apparently gets shot by the cops right um, of course we know that the cops are now on his side and they they missed they didn't hit him uh, so he was faking it when he went down they also you know they cart him away in a, a truck Therefore, by allowing him to come and rescue Peggy, right? Um, but the actual final battle is was funny, more I think unintentionally. So there was
1: well, it was it wasn't exactly a high speed chase or anything. <laughs> no. I mean, it was it was Hopper running through uh, a warehouse or something, uh, hopping into a cherry picker, elevating the cherry picker at the breakneck speed of about <laughs> half a kilometer an hour. And then, uh, and then waiting until Steve Austin comes by, positions himself directly underneath the cherry picker. At which point. Hopper drops the cherry picker slowly on Steve Austin's head and knocks him unconscious. <laughs> it was just the most anticlimactic thing. And
0: then, and then he jumps into the the uh, what is it? It, it was, was
1: a bulldozer. Bulldozer, or yeah. And he tries
0: to drop the the bulldozer yeah, scoop on him. All like
1: really molasses <laughs> slow speeds here, guys. And and so there's just no tension that's really? built up there at all. So no. it was it was a real letdown for for an episode that up until that point had been quite good and quite. Um, in, in, thorough in its in its exploration of of these with some few exceptions of these uh the tense moments and everything that were going on um to have it end like that was kind of mm-hmm. disappointing disappointing
0: um but yeah the positives definitely uh like i think you labeled them all already but uh just to go over again like the the tension between peggy and steve yeah. is kind of nice it's subtle it's not mm-hmm. like at one point she misconstrues him hitting on her and, yeah. and he's, and he's like, just well, like no I just
1: need your phone number and address so I can yeah. you know come over if I need to or if I if I need you know. help at some yeah. yeah like it's not a come on it yeah. was just like matter of fact so it was kind of refreshing yeah to have that expectation subverted and
0: then at the end though you know he takes they go out for lunch together and it's it's, it's, a, like, business lunch, it's a business lunch though it's not lunch.
1: A, it's not yeah. a sexy lunch they offer Oscar to come and he's like well I've got so much work to do he means for Callahan to stay behind and do the work for him yeah and they're like well who asked you you weren't invited anyway yeah. stay here and do yeah. your work yeah. like it was it was cute like it it was it subverted a lot of that and i and i like that um imagining mark frost writing that dialogue mm-hmm. is is kind of um interesting to me because uh you you hear echoes of that in in some of the the subversions that you, you know of, of expectations that you see in twin peaks or um the strong characters that i mentioned already with with um Ms. Callahan mm-hmm. reminded me of someone like Norma, Norma. or, uh, well, to a certain extent, Shelley, yeah. um, that kind of damsel in distress angle but that comes really. at but then not really but um, then Maybe, <laughs> and then the humor that comes through as well is just really yeah
0: um
1: especially in this episode there was a there was quite a bit of humor that There's wasn't more, yeah wasn't strained humor it was it was situational humor yeah. that that kind of um well it
0: shows up in the twin peaks all the time yeah and, you know it was one of the strengths of quirky
1: that. that quirky stuff that mm-hmm. we see in twin peaks yeah. not quirky here but the you know, it, it wasn't it quite
0: three bombs funny you know, there was no yeah. one individual line that was quite hilarious that made us laugh. But yeah, there was. It had some lighthearted moments that made you like ah,
1: or groan a little bit. A maybe. little bit. I yeah. think that would be the way to that's
0: yeah. it. <laughs> but yeah,
1: but it was generally very enjoyable. And I and I I thought it was um, it's been a, it's been really interesting to watch these early uh, pieces from both David Lynch and Mark Frost to see where they're coming at them, and it's so different. Like it's yeah. su- from such different Completely points of view. Different. Um, and from different places, the artistic freedom that David Lynch was having at you know 1975, he was working on Eraserhead at this point, mm-hmm. basically having carte blanche to do whatever he wanted at the AFI in, in the barn, basically at, mm-hmm. at the AFI studios. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and then here's Mark Frost working in this stable of writers, you know, but but pulling off some really enjoyable popcorn tv that that was seen by millions of people and beloved by millions of people Mm -hmm. um to imagine how you know 15 years later they were going to be able to come together and create a show like twin peaks um it's it's really to see where they start and to know where they end up um i guess that's why we're doing this is just to kind of chart this progression because it's it's really interesting but yeah
0: exactly And, and and it is the most interesting part of this is that it I think, well, we can't really say this, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it anyways. If you watched all of season two of $6 million man, you might, you may not even recognize that this was a Mark Frost episode in particular, if you didn't look for the writing credits. Right. So he's working within this tight frame, uh, framework. Yes. Tight framework. Uh, And he's, you know, but you can, if you look, you can see some of the hints of what's coming. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, for the most part, it's overwhelmed by the the huge, you know, factory to get back to your kind of language, Lindsay. uh, It's this factory of, you know, primetime TV in the 70s.
1: Yeah. Pump Um, out an episode a week. Yeah. You know, for 30 weeks or 25 weeks and then um, start over again four months later. And it's, uh, it's such a different place Yeah, to then, start then, from. exactly.
0: Compared to Lynch. And it's it's kind of backing up what we what we said all along, which is that Lynch always kind of brought the arts and Frost brought the TV and the entertainment kind of world knowledge, know how and, you know, the discipline,
1: I think maybe. Is that, that too. I think that's the word I was looking for all this okay. whole time we've been recording is <laughs> discipline. There's a discipline to television yeah. writing at this in this era, and it probably continues to this day, especially if you're doing, you know, a full season of, of 22 episodes. Yeah, a network show. Yeah, it takes commitment and and that kind of discipline to see that through to the end. Whereas, you, you, how long did David Lynch work on Head? It was years, it was like seven right? Years or so, yeah. um, <laughs> that kind of auteur license that you get when you're an independent artist mm-hmm. and you don't have a studio to kind of answer to, which may explain a little bit of why David Lynch left the set of Twin Peaks to kind of run on its own at some point during season two, because um, it just, it's not an environment that's conducive to the kind of creative freedom that he was used to. Whereas Mark Frost, it seems from the very beginning was able to thrive in that. Mm -hmm. So we knew this, but it's interesting to see See it play out uh, in the product of those. those
0: Well, it's interesting because in some way, I mean, just going to jump out there and say it, it's probably the best work of either of them, is when the two of them came together.
1: Yeah, right? I don't think, I think that's the same way I wrote an article for 25 years later a few months ago about comparing Lynch and Frost to Lenin and McCartney mm-hmm. and how, um, neither one of them produced anything fantastic, not equaling the the heights of the Beatles work in their solo careers, um, which isn't to say it isn't good, but it just wasn't as good as what they did when they were together. And I think that's a testament to like the sum being greater than, than the parts. The parts yeah. So, um, it's, it's, and it's hard to do that with the beginning stuff because it is beginning stuff. It's baby steps. It's early work. Um,
0: but I mean, th- it is. I mean, for Lynch, we noticed there's a lot of it's there already, mm. but it is. Yeah, it's in its in infancy. Here, Frost is bringing that discipline that, that might help shape something of, yeah. of, you know, Lynch's early
1: It's the seed it's, exactly. it's the little tulpa seed of what would become <laughs> these these great and storied yeah. collaborations, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah.
0: I think I'll keep you for a souvenir. <laughs>
1: So I guess that's the end of our episode this week. Um, next week, what do we have up on deck for next week, Aiden? It is a racer head. Aiden, how do you feel about that? Uh, I don't feel good about it. <laughs>
0: why because don't you
1: tell tell our loyal listeners? Oh, I, f- I think everyone's weird. Why they don't. <laughs> it's
0: not a word. It is uh, a word. All right, sure. Uh, no, I just, it, the baby terrifies me. I think that may signal something about our marriage and children <laughs> in that marriage. Uh, but you no, think our
1: babies would be like the eraser head baby?
0: In terms of their psychological impact on me, probably yeah. That's why one of the reasons why we're not having kids. Uh, but no, I mean it's, <laughs> this is
1: way more insight into our marriage than anybody signed up whatever. for. Guaranteed. Well,
0: it's just the truth. You ask me, I'm telling you the <laughs> truth. Uh, it, we have watched this one before, so it won't be yes. it won't be new like uh, these episodes were. Um, but. Yeah, it's it'll be a fun. It, rock. It's
1: only your second time having watched it. That's true. Yes. So I think, and you haven't done a lot of reading or no, you know analysis on it because, scared because it. you're scared of it. <laughs> uh, whereas for me, I mean, I watched it once and loved it and i've seen it like three or four times since then because i'm just obsessed with this movie i love this movie so much so um i'm really excited it'll be kind of like you know you're a first time viewer mm-hmm. and i'm like the expert viewer and we can talk about it and it'll be fun i think it'll be a fun a fun episode what won't be fun is the sleepless nights that yeah. come for you and then yeah, well, me as well because you're going to be up all night crying about you know well i don't the cry I'm just. Have. I,
0: well yeah no i just they they keep me up and then i wake up and i'm like ah, oh, there's no baby thank god and then i <laughs> gradually drift back to sleep three hours later so um join us for that i i may sound very tired uh, when we're speaking about it maybe because... maybe in the
1: interim between now and then, send us your best like get back to sleep after a nightmare <laughs> remedies, okay? Because Aiden will really need them. Uh, I do. I'm really going to need them. <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, we hope you join us for that.
1: Yeah, that'll be in two weeks from today, so mm-hmm. December 16th ish ish. Yep. No wait, yeah, that'll be December 19th. It'll be our last episode before the we'll well, we're not taking a break for no, Christmas, but it'll just be a natural break for Christmas and mm-hmm. then we'll come back after. It'll be our last episode for 2017.
0: Yes. And the then, year of the return yes. is almost over.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Wow. It
1: kind of makes me sad a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
0: we were so excited all year.
1: And now it's over and, and it's we're so excited. There's yeah. still lots of stuff to talk about and, and, and more stuff coming with the, the, or the Blu-ray release. But yep. um, anyway, we're getting off track. I think it's late and we need to eat and... Uh, uh, so we're going to let you go, but we, we do hope that you will come back for Eraserhead in two weeks' time.
0: Where were you going with that thought?
1: I don't know. I kind of just drifted <laughs> out of drifted my out head of like head that. There. completely did. <laughs>
0: If you're enjoying the show and want to join the conversation, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bickeringpeaks, all one word.
1: You can also follow us on Twitter, that's at bickeringpeaks.
0: Or you can head over to iTunes and leave us a review or comment. We'd love to hear from you.